You're listening to Soundbites, a podcast by the Arkansas Philharmonic Orchestra to share, inspire, and empower our classical music community here in Northwest Arkansas and beyond. My name is Erjing Kong, your host for the podcast and concertmaster of APO. is a composer based in San Francisco, originally from Korea. Chamber music, orchestral music, choir music, and Asian traditional music with electronics are prominently featured in her music. Her education includes a PhD in composition from UC Berkeley and a BM and MM from the Seoul National University. Jean is the director of Ensemble ARI and lecturer at UC Berkeley. Here, I speak with her in depth about a few of her pieces that intersect with Korean culture. Thank you so much, Jean. We just heard the Berkeley Arirang, your Berkeley Arirang. Can you tell us a little bit about this? What is what is Arirang, Jean? 
Okay, so you probably know Arirang. A lot of people like even if they have one song they know about Korean song, it'll probably be Arirang. It's like Arirang, Arirang. That's the most famous Arirang. But actually, in Korea, there are many, many di different Arirangs. They all go by region. So if it's you're in southern part, it's southern Arirang, like Jindo Arirang. Like they have all their regions. So uh, and it's completely different tune. And the tune that I'm using here is actually. So it's a totally different uh, tune. And uh, if you know that tune, you'll realize this piece is using the exact tune. And I'm calling it per Berkeley Adidang is because I am living in Berkeley. I've been living in Berkeley for a while. And Berkeley is, a for me, Berkeley is a place that is very vibrant and has so many different cultures. So I'm using all those different cultures with different spices, like different electronics to do all those different kind of ornamentation to give a vibe of Berkeley. So that's why I'm calling it Ber Berkeley Adidang. And Jean, can you speak a little bit more about Korean folk songs? Yes, Korean folk song is very exciting genre. And um, so Korean folk song, you can, you have to have these three very important characters. I mean, there are many other different characteristics, but among them, the first thing is about Han. Han is the pathos. It's a deep sorrow that Koreans carry. It's throughout their history, so many invasion, they lost their independence. So because of that, they have these sense of uh, loss. So they are always very, uh, they're very sorrowful about that, but at the same time, they're able to sing about it. So a lot of Korean songs are like, it seems like it's uplifting, but if you really look deep into it and think about the lyrics, oh my goodness, this is so dark. And they still sing about it. So Korean has that thing in their folk songs. Another interesting mm. thing is about in the music, they have these like these ornamentations. And these ornamentation means it's not, the ornamentation itself is not subordinate to the original note. Actually, if there is a note, it's almost like a life. So it goes throughout its journey. So it's hard to tell, okay, this is the important note, this is less important note. You don't do it that way. The whole thing, the whole surrounding is as important as that, that main note. So it is very important for Korean song to be sung in a different kind of infl um, inflections and all those ornamentation. If I just put them all like, mm, I'm gonna choose and pick all those important notes and play it on the piano, it's gonna sound horrible and then it's gonna sound inferior, but they're actually very rich because of the ornamentation. Another important thing is their rhythmic pattern. So it it has these, usually has these changu, which is called barrel drum, and there's an accompaniment. And the song has the rhythmic pattern that repeats. Actually, talking about the tango, I'd like to um, share another choir piece. I wrote mm. uh, I wrote for a chamber choir, and this piece used another different region arirang piece. And pay attention to the bass and tenors, because they actually are singing the tango, the percussion part. Let's hear it. Oh, 
going. Um, speaking of folk songs, I'm very interested in how you conceive of sharing spaces, musical spaces between Korean folk songs and Western classical music. Yeah, I actually like uh, Bartok's approach when he said he's going to raise, uh, he collected the folk song, he's going to raise it to an art song level. And we, he said that he really like that he brought all those folk song into the repertoire of the classical world. And if you think about the classical, like nowadays, everybody like sing those Schubert, Schumann, all those things, a lot of Brahms, all these like repertoire were once a folk song. And why not Korean folk song? They can be in that level. So my approach is to bring these folk song and revisit them. That's why I have these collections with piano and voice and also have a separate piano solo pieces that are called folk song revisited. And I'm using those pieces that can be very useful for trained classical singers to, to, to use it as their repertoire for their concerts and recitals. And um, although there are some language barriers, actually I realized a lot of singers are actually looking for a different language. And they like to enter into a different culture through learning their language or singing that the language of that song. So I think uh, this is my lifelong mission. One is on the way to be published soon. Another one is just keep going on for my lifelong mission. And in speaking about uh, the Korean language, um, of course, I'm also thinking about your Hegem Concerto, which involves traditional Korean instruments, yet another instrumental language. Um, let's give a quick listen to that first.
Gene, of course, hegum being a traditional Korean instrument, it has its own traditional notation, uh, which is very different from the Western classical notation. How did you resolve the different notation languages and how did you communicate this to the orchestral members who were using Western instruments? And yeah, so Korean uh, traditional notation, it goes by letters. 
they use Chinese characters in a box. So if you are holding it for a long time, then it will span through different many boxes. And next to it, it has all these little symbols. It almost looks like um, some kind of lines that is a circular line going up and down, wiggly lines, some dots. And it's actually very intuitive. When you look at it, you would like to, you understand, oh, it has the inflection is going up, inflection is going down. It's very intuitive. So when I'm writing with, uh, with, Western instruments, I use, I give the direction at the very beginning information page. So I would use those kind of symbols and create them so they can understand it. But even so, it is hard to, for them to understand. So I constantly have to communicate. But interesting thing is, was when we were doing this concerto, uh, the Hegem player came and played her part. And of course, Hegem player, she's all about all those ornamenta Korean ornamentation. I don't have to write much in her part because she's going to do it anyway. And I always give her more freedom to do it. Do it as much as you can, as you would understand. And I love that spontaneity. And then the orchestra members, as soon as they heard what she was doing, they, it was so easy for them. They were just imitating right away. Yeah, it was so much powerful than words. I love that excerpt. And Jean, you know I'm a violinist, so I've got to ask. <laughs> In talking about these cre uh, co-created spaces and shared spaces between uh, Korean folk instruments and Western classical music, I'm hearing that there's a lot of instrumental overlap, these string crossings that are happening. Uh, how Can you talk a bit about how the Hegem tries to meet uh, the Western instruments and how the Western instruments try to meet the Hegem? Yeah, I'm really glad that you heard it because that was my intention. This piece is called Woven Silk and it's about the silk, woven silk is the material for Hegem. Hegem is a Korean fiddle, but it only has two strings. So, and it has the inner string and outer string, and they have different character because the outer string is strong, inner string is weak, but they don't necessarily do string crossing. And that was an experiment about this. Okay, so this piece is all about string crossing. And I generally love open string, string crossing in, in, in strings. I know sometimes it's just, it's cliche, but I just love the resonance that happened. So I really wanted to see how Hegem would do that because they are tuned in fifth. So just like any, any string instrument, Western string instrument. Mm -hmm. So when doing it together, I was able to create that Hegem was actually imitating the Western instruments. And it was, it was interesting because it was really, they were, as you just said, they were really sharing the same common piece. They were able to meet. Mm -hmm. So I liked that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talking about That's meat, really actually, can I, uh, is it okay if I play one more piece? This piece is actually using a K-pop, K-pop material. Oh, wow. With, yeah. With Kayagum, Korean zither instrument meeting mm -hmm. Western marimba. So let's mm. hear it.
That's really gorgeous, Jean. Um, you've shown us in this short amount of time such a rich array of ways to incorporate folk and non-folk Korean materials into Western classical music. Uh, just to close, I'd like to ask a very broad question, which is, can you speak about how you've chosen to integrate two different cultures in your compositional process? Yes, um, so when I use Korean material, there are different approach depending on the project. I have a series, I told you that Folk Song Revisited series is like the most intentional pieces that I actually bring all the Korean materials intact. So their melodies are exactly same as the original. And then I put uh, different layers to it, but the melodies intact, anybody who knows the song will recognize. So it's obvious. A song like this that you just heard, the K-pop song, actually the material is a very old classical Korean K-pop song. And, mm -hmm. uh, but although it's, it's, I don't regard it as a Korean song. I mean, it is a Korean material, but it's by sung by a Western, lead, Western music trained singer with like guitar and piano, all Western instrument. Yeah. But I saw, mm -hmm. I saw some, um, some potential in them that if I use the kayagum can and bring out the hidden inflections that can be hidden in the voice of a singer, I thought I will bring a different dimension. So when I'm actually using Korean uh, instrument, I'm trying to use something that is not yet uh, being uh, developed yet. I'm trying to create something new that hasn't happened with this instrument. Like for woven silk, the hegum, I said I imitated the Western instrument because that cro string crossing, as simple as it might sound like, it hasn't been done before. So for in this kayagam piece, doing this kind of way with the with with this material, it's something new. So I'm trying to really uh, create something new by using what I know about these two cultures. So I guess at the end of the day, I'm not really trying to be like, oh, this is what Korean music is about. I think it's about trying to find myself. And I think it'll change day by day, year by year. If you ask me next year, I don't know what I'm gonna respond to. Like, it's gonna be always challenging, but interesting to me. Jean, thank you so much for such a rich discussion in such a short time. And thank you so much again for your generosity. Thank you so much, Georgine. It was a great pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to APO's Soundbites. If you enjoyed the episode, please share and tell your friends. More information about APO can be found on their website, arphil.org, A-R-P-H-I-L dot O-R-G, 
as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Please join us again next time for more explorations in the rich world of classical music. Music